this is for professional and institutional clients only. We literally need to rewire the nation, 10,000 kilometers of new transmission lines. More than 400 billion is expected to be invested in greenfield energy infrastructure by 2050. Climate Change Authority's first annual progress report was released in late 2022. It noted a big shift in momentum was needed. It stated that Australia will need to decarbonise more than 40% faster than it has since 2009. It's going to achieve net zero by 2050. Welcome to the IGNEO Infrastructure Partners podcast, Keeping It Real Assets. In this series, you will hear from the IGNEO investment team in conversation with the leaders of our global infrastructure businesses. We will shine a light on how they operate and their approach to the challenges of an ever-changing world. We hope that you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to this episode of Keeping It Real Assets. My name is Daniel Timms and I'm a Managing Director and Head of Asset Management for Australia and New Zealand at Igneo Infrastructure Partners. Today, I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast, Nigel Baker, CEO of Atmos Renewables, Igneo's 100% owned renewable energy platform business based in Australia. On this episode, Nigel and I will discuss the immense challenge that our coal-dominated power sector faces to decarbonise and the role Atmos is playing to accelerate this objective. My name is Nigel Baker. I'm the CEO of Atmos Renewables. I'm an engineer by training. I've been in the renewable sector since around 2001, working on wind projects, run of river hydro and solar projects through those 22 years, mostly in the Australian market, but I have done some stints in the UK and in South America also through that time. I joined Atmos as the CEO in May of last year. I mean, in that role, I'm responsible for the overall direction of the company, building and leading the management team as we grow our footprint in the Australian market. What motivates you as a leader in the renewable sector and what attracted you to join and lead Atmos? The renewable sector in the first place was really me looking for alignment of my values and beliefs with my engineering skill set. So I was an engineer by training. As for Atmos, to me, it was really a company in the sweet spot in the Australian renewables market, being backed by a serious long-term investor who really understands the sector. That's really important, particularly coming in as a CEO to have that alignment in the understanding and direction with the board. A very unique position of starting with a, a really significant operating base, which gives us the stable cash flows. It gives us the credibility as a serious and long-term player in the market, despite only being quite new to the sector. A clear ambition to grow the business over time, which is absolutely appropriate in the uh, context of the Australian market. And the flip side of all that was the opportunity to start in somewhat of a startup mode with a bit of a blank canvas on the organisational side, coming in as employee number one with the chance to build a team from scratch, you know, build the systems, processes, and most importantly, the culture that we want to build to create a really successful and sustainable business. The approach that was taken was to start by building a critical mass of operating assets in the national electricity market, or the NEM, as we call it in Australia. That's been done through a series of successful acquisitions, mostly of small portfolios of operating wind and solar assets, to the point where that now takes us to being the fourth largest owner of 
renewable energy assets in Australia. So the total capacity now of our 14 wind and solar assets is just over 1,000 megawatts. Um, that portfolio is spread across all five regions of the NEM, which gives us a really nicely diversified operating base. The size of that portfolio, as well as the backing of IGNIO as a long-term investor, has also allowed us to attract great people to the business. And that's been really critical to us, both in managing that existing portfolio, but in particular in setting us up for successful growth of the business in the years to come. That scale also allows us to do a number of other things, such as optimising the asset management across the portfolio. We've got some significant economies of scale. It gives us great diversity across the five regions and two technologies at this point in time. And it gives us the opportunity, I guess, ultimately achieve much better outcomes than we ever could at a single asset level. In the last six months, we've completed our portfolio refinancing across the operating assets, a portfolio insurance process, and we're in the process of switching off a number of the asset management agreements to internalize that function as part of the Atmos team. Renewable energy assets, by their nature, they're very capital intensive and are relatively light on the people and cost side for long-term operation. I think some people then confuse that by thinking they can be a little bit set and forget and quite simple in their operation. That's not the case for these sorts of assets, albeit, yes, they are relatively simple, but there are a lot of opportunities to improve and optimize things throughout the assets' lives. Really do think that owners can leave a lot on the table in terms of value if they're not really active in that space. Now, the one percenters on renewable assets, given the sorts of numbers you're talking about in terms of generation and annual revenues and so on, you know, can be worth a lot of value. And we really think that we can optimize that value by being more hands-on in our approach building our company systems, getting the right people, the right structures to manage those effectively. Nigel, can you talk a bit about how Atmos has grown in that short time frame and how you see the growth of Atmos going forward? It's been quite a meteoric growth over the last two and a half years, grown through that period across five transactions. Now, that growth to date has all been through acquisition, We are looking to pivot the business over time and achieve more growth through development as well, development, construction of new assets. That's something that is required in the Australian market. So to put in context, we've got 460 megawatts of operating solar today. The market is expecting at least another five gigawatts to be built in the next 10 years. We've got 540 megawatts of wind today. The market is expecting about 10 gigawatts of wind to get built over the next 10 years. And so for us to remain a relevant player in the market and to take advantage of that market opportunity fundamentally, we see ourselves growing quite strongly into that development space as the business grows. Switching now to a real issue, the challenge for Australia to achieve the federal government's target of increasing renewables from what is around 30% today to 82% by 2030 ultimately net zero by 2050. This topic is discussed a lot, but when you look at the numbers, the pace of change that's needed, it's quite frankly staggering. Let's go through some of the numbers. Australia has approximately 18 gigawatts of renewables today, and that needs to increase to over 140 gigawatts by 2050. If we're going to achieve that, we need to more than double renewable capacity in the next seven years to 2030 double that capacity again to 2040 and nearly double it again to 2050. Storage, we need to increase today's capacity by a factor of almost 60 to firm up that amount of intermittent renewables. We literally need to rewire the nation, 10,000 kilometres of new transmission lines. More than $400 is expected to be invested in greenfield energy infrastructure by 2050. 
Also, late last year and quite sobering, the Climate Change Authority's first annual progress report was released in late 2022. It noted a big shift in momentum was needed. It stated that Australia will need to decarbonise more than 40% faster than it has since 2009 if it's going to achieve net zero by 2050. Nigel, that's a massive challenge. I'll put you on the spot. Do you think it's achievable? It is a massive challenge. Is it possible? Yes. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. There is a lot of work to do. I guess to put that in context, Australia needs to move from a fundamentally coal-centred electricity system to a renewable-centred system, and all of that over the next one to two decades. Coal currently provides about two-thirds of our electricity in Australia, and we do have one of the most carbon-intensive electricity sectors in the world as a result of that. That will change. Coal plants are retiring, and not just for environmental reasons. The most cost-efficient way to replace them as they retire is with renewables and storage. Just this year, we'll have the roughly two gigawatt Liddell coal plant in New South Wales coming out of service. And there's a program, or call it a program, but an expectation and a schedule effectively of around 10 more large coal generators in the NEM that are expected to close, and it will close in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland over the next 10 years. In addition to that, the transmission system in the three largest states of Australia and of the NEM was essentially designed around getting electricity from those largely coal thermal plants that were built in the valleys where the coal was in each state to that state's capital city. That rewiring of the nation, as it's been described, is fundamentally required to actually facilitate the switch to renewables. So the task for our industry is to replace the older thermal capacity with renewables and storage as well as to keep up with the demand growth for things such as electric vehicles, increasing use of electricity for heating, hot water, industrial processes. It is a huge task, and some of the biggest challenges include that transmission system reconfiguration. Building the storage and firming capacity is also critical. Most of that in Australia is expected to come in the form of of battery storage, as well as pumped hydro over the coming years. And then fundamentally, the huge volumes of wind and solar generation itself that are needed For example, the market operator, AEMO, estimates that over 100 gigawatts of new renewables capacity and 40 gigawatts of new storage to complement it is going to be needed in the NEM by 2050. And a large amount of that's going to be needed in the next decade, around about 5 gigawatts of solar, 20 gigawatts of new wind and 25 gigawatts of new storage. And to put those in perspective, the entire generation in the NEM today is only around 60 gigawatts with around 10 gigawatts of wind and 5 gigawatts of solar. So we're talking about major step change for the sector over the next decade. Of course, a major infrastructure program, like we're talking about here, doesn't come cheap. It needs a huge amount of capital. As you mentioned, that $400 billion figure is one of the key estimates out there. There's a lot of deep industry expertise that's going to be required to actually implement this. Strong supply chains are going to be critical. There's a huge amount that needs to be deployed. And also the political and community support to allow that to happen successfully. And yeah, each of those issues could actually be major themes in their own right. So clearly a step change is needed. The level of investment over the next 20 years or so is going to be huge. So let's turn to the role of government in that process. And if I can be provocative here, do you believe the various and ever-changing federal and state government policies are actually helping or hindering this step change that's needed? 
fair to say that historically government support for the energy transition in Australia has been inconsistent at best and, you know, fair to say possibly at times hindering. Essentially all the state governments, regardless of which party has been in power, have been very supportive of renewables for most of the last two decades, certainly the last decade. But federal policy in the renewable space and on climate change more broadly has been pretty problematic, to be blunt. That's created a bit of a roller coaster ride for the sector in terms of the uh, coordinated support. But I am very pleased to say that this has really changed over the last year or so. And we are now at the point in Australia where all the major parties at both state and federal levels appear to be fully on board with what needs to happen. Um, that's very heartening for everyone in the sector and I think for the future of this energy transition in Australia. Some examples of this, we've got the federal government's commitment to a 43% emissions reduction by 2030, net zero by 2050. And we know and all the modelling says that a lot of the heavy lifting towards those targets will come from the electricity sector. The same federal government committing $20 billion towards their rewiring the nation transmission fund. And we've got renewable energy zones being announced in pretty much every state to support the connection infrastructure needed for wind and solar farms. So there really is overwhelming support at all levels in the country for renewables and for this transition. How that will manifest itself is still evolving, but it's likely to be a combination of direct funding for the transmission system upgrades that are required, some government-backed offtakes in certain instances, direct support programs or market support mechanisms for storage assets, particularly you know, battery and potentially pump storage as well as well as encouragement for authorities and regulators to ensure that the planning regimes, the market rules, and all the other aspects that need to come together for such a, a huge deployment of infrastructure and, and period of change, that everything works to actually allow it to happen in the timeframes that it needs to happen. How are you positioning the business to take advantage of this? We already are reasonably well positioned in terms of, as I mentioned earlier, we are now the fourth largest renewable generator in the market. And we've you know, rapidly built that quite strong position. But the market, as we've just been discussing, is changing and growing rapidly. And we need to change and grow with it if we're going to continue to be successful. We see that scale will continue to be important in the market. The renewable businesses in the sector are getting larger. Individual asset sizes in particular are getting larger. And with that scale becomes efficiencies and credibility with counterparties, be they suppliers, off-takers, government regulators, and so on as well as further stability through the continued diversification of the asset base and offtake structures that we might have in our portfolio. So in terms of getting to an increased scale as the market scale expands, we'll continue to look at acquisition opportunities that can complement and add to the Atmos portfolio. But we are at the same time increasing our focus on the development of new projects on ourselves, particularly in the wind and best spaces. We're doing this both within our own team and in partnerships with smaller developers who might you know, be very keen to focus on the front-end development of projects but aren't long-term natural owners. Over the past six months, we've recruited quite strongly in that development part of our business and we've built a really great team of quality and passionate people who come with really strong track records developing wind, solar and battery projects in Australia. So we think we're positioning ourselves really well for that next stage of our growth and that next challenge. Nigel, you talked a lot about the government initiatives around achieving decarbonisation objectives and supporting the build-out of renewables. And you talked about support. In other countries, we see various subsidy regimes, feed-in tariffs, 
and various other means to promote renewables, whether it's tax credits or otherwise. Is there any specific support regimes that the government has implemented or has been talking about implementing to help drive this step change? Yeah, sure. There are quite a number of different initiatives across the country, particularly at the state level, where state governments are looking to support the more rapid implementation of renewables. I think it's important to highlight that Australia's never had feed-in tariff type regimes similar to what you know, perhaps have, has happened in some other countries. In Europe, it doesn't have the sort of tax credit regime that the US has had that's encouraged renewable energy. A lot of the historic investment in renewable energy in Australia was driven by the renewable energy target. It's called the RET, a scheme which set a target for the amount of renewable energy that needed to come each year between when that scheme was implemented and 2030. And they put that obligation on retailers effectively to purchase a certain proportion of renewable energy. And that attributed a value to the green aspect of renewables and helped drive that value equation for investors. What's happened over time is that renewables have just become fundamentally competitive on their own two feet. As I mentioned earlier, coal assets are going to retire. That energy has to be replaced by something because electrification is increasing. People still need reliable cost-effective energy in the houses and for industry. So as those coal plants retire, there's actually not a need for government subsidies, if you like, to encourage renewables to replace it because it's already the most cost-efficient to do that. Where governments are stepping in is more in probably guiding perhaps where some of the generation might get built, perhaps some of the timeframes around it to make sure that things do align with when those coal plants retire, when and where they retire, and when and where the new generation gets built. And they are, in some cases, looking at things like contracts for difference and offtake support arrangements. But in many cases, and I think the vast majority of projects that will be built are more built on the pure commercials of the market. Storage is perhaps the exception to that at the moment. The pure economics around that can be more challenging. There are a number of government mechanisms that are assisting storage projects you know, become more viable more quickly to make sure, again, that the system stays reliable as we increase the penetration of renewables. It's amazing how far technology and costs have come now that both wind and solar in particular are economic in Australia without subsidy. Looking forward now, we've talked a lot about the step change in the market, the amount of investment that's going to be needed to achieve Australia's decarbonisation targets We've talked a bit about the opportunity that presents for Atmos. So with all that in mind, Nigel, what is your vision for Atmos over the next five years and beyond? The market in renewables in Australia is still quite fragmented amongst a pretty large number of players. And we do expect quite a lot of consolidation in that market as it grows and matures. We expect that to be consolidated into a smaller number of larger players. And we're really positioning Atmos to be one of those. And we do want to keep Atmos positioned as a top five integrated renewable energy business in this market. We've got a great team now. It's quite a new team. We've grown the team to around about 16 people today, but we need to continue to grow and evolve that team to make sure we've got the right capability across the renewables life cycle from that early stage development phase right through the construction, operation and commercialization of assets. We want to build a strong and flexible development pipeline, and that will really allow us to be able to bring projects forward both to grow the business, but particularly in response to market and customer needs. Australia is quite a dynamic market, as we've been discussing, between different states and different regions. And so for us, having a, a really strong and diverse pipeline 
that we build that can allow us to respond to customer needs over time is really important for us. And we want to be a, a respected long-term partner with our key stakeholders. And that includes off-takers, customers, suppliers, government and regulators, and most importantly, with the local communities and landholders where our projects and assets are located. From that customer perspective, most renewable assets are built with the long-term off-takes, um, typically on a run of plant as we generate the energy we sell it often at a fixed price to a, you know, a retailer or a corporate off-taker. But as those original agreements expire over time, we will need a more dynamic contracting structure as well. That is all we have time for today. A great vision to end on, Nigel, demonstrating the massive opportunity for Atmos, its customers. Nigel, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Real Assets, the Ignio Infrastructure Partners podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more by following Ignio Infrastructure Partners on your favourite podcast platform. If you'd like to find out more about Ignio Infrastructure Partners, you can visit our website at igneoip.com. This podcast series was produced by Mark Gardner at OX4 Sound Studio. This podcast is not a financial promotion and has been prepared for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be investment or financial advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. Investment vehicles managed by Igneo Infrastructure Partners are only available to institutional investors, professional investors, qualified investors and wholesale clients. They are not available to retail clients, the general public, private customers or any persons in any jurisdiction in which their distribution is not authorised. Igneo Infrastructure Partners is an unlisted infrastructure asset management business and is part of the First Sentier Investors Group. We communicate and conduct business through different legal entities in different locations. Please refer to the notes section of the podcast platform you use for more information on Igneo Infrastructure Partners in your region. For Singapore only, the podcast should be used in accordance with the applicable laws in Singapore. In Singapore, the podcast is issued by First Sentier Investors Singapore, whose company registration number is 196900420D. This advertisement or material has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. First Sentier Investors registration number 53236800B and Igneo Infrastructure Partners registration number 53447928J are business divisions of First Sentier Investors Singapore.